In this episode of The Ziggler Show, our focus is a big way to leverage your impact. If you have any desire to make a positive influence in your life, in others' lives, actually, there are few tools more powerful than a book. But should everyone write a book? Does everyone have a relevant story or area of expertise that's worthy of cutting down some trees? Well, you're not going to hear that in this show, but we will open this topic up and help you see if there's merit in the consideration of a book. And if so, how best to go about it. So I'm bringing on Chandler Bolt. He's the founder and CEO of Self-Publishing School, uh, which is an Inc. 5000 company the last three years in a row and uh, one of the 5,000 fastest growing private companies in the U.S. Chandler's written six books himself. He's renowned as just a tour de force in the publishing world and in business as well. He's only 27 years old, but he's been incredibly successful for a long time now. And you're going to hear us talk through this. And for those of you in your 20s and those of you like me, with kids in their 20s, it's really an inspiring and equipping story. And if you do find yourself through this interview thinking about maybe you should write a book, you can check him out at self-publishingschool.com slash apply. And there you can inquire with his team about your options. Welcome everyone. I'm Kevin Miller. Every week I publish four podcast episodes over three different shows that have been downloaded over 50 million times. So much of personal development and self-help address issues in our lives that are symptomatic and we don't make change. So I dig into the root issues of what will help us achieve the progress and results we desire in our work, our life, and our health. This is The Ziggler Show, ranked number two in all-time career podcasts and Apple Podcasts. And here we focus on progress in your professional life, your work, your vocation, your business. In the Motive Podcast, this is focused directly at you, yourself. The motives are your reasons for all you do and the root of your behavioral and personal ability. In episode 23, I bring on career expert Dan Miller to discuss our vocational motives, the reasons that we went into the job, the career, the business, what motives help us and what motives harm us. Then in the True Life Podcast, we key in on your necessary physical and mental capacity for the purpose of allowing you to freely do what you really want to do and not be held back by your body. In episode 66, the focus is dementia, an issue that used to be a rarity has now become one of the greatest fears of, I think, everyone over 50. It's getting to the point now of expecting that mental impairment is a given for aging, and it is not. I mean, does the genetics play a part? Absolutely, but it should be negligible. Does lifestyle play a part? Absolutely. And that's the biggest part. And if hearing that you can have massive, really the most power to control whether or not you get dementia or cognitive decline, if that's exciting, you're going to want to hear the great news in this episode. You can find all three podcasts in Apple Podcasts. Just search for Kevin Miller or go to my website, kevinmiller.co. And if you're new to The Ziggler Show, I invite you to visit ziggler.com slash coach and connect with Tom Ziggler about becoming a coach. All right, Chandler, I'm going to start off and just ask, how old are you? <laughs> uh, I have to think about that these days. Uh, 27. 27. I'm, I'm trying to think through my list of people I've had on the show. Have I ever had anybody younger than 27? Uh, that's, that's amazing. And for you to be, you know, and I know that that's part of your story. For you to be at the level of business that you are, uh, how old were you when you really had a legit full-time self-employed business? 
Mm. <laughs> so legit is very subjective. Okay. Okay. The, the <laughs> bills were paid. Well, you weren't sleeping on somebody's couch. Uh, can I say yeah, that? So I'll, I'll, so I'll say this. So I first decided I wanted to run a bit. So my mom sent me to scout camp when I was 16 years. Whoa, hold up. Maybe even 13, 14, 15 years old. And she sent me with a bunch of snacks uh, and, and drinks and all this stuff. And I came back with a pocket full of cash and a switchblade because <laughs> I'd sold all my snacks. Because uh, I, you know, the other kids are like, "Hey, you got all these snacks and drinks," and so I started selling them. So I think that was the impetus of becoming an entrepreneur. Ran business, uh, landscaping and land. Uh, Lawn, uh, lawn care, landscaping, pressure washing business in high school, then another business in high school. Then I was a, ran an exterior house painting company in college through a company called Student Painters. And that was the first time I hit six figures with a business and really started to believe I could do it. Then dropped out of school to run a business. And then that's where I was building a quote unquote legit business, but still uh, sleeping on a, uh, a, you know, not quite a couch, um, but a, a bed on the floor. Yeah. And then that was when everything was starting. I had about six months worth of runway when I dropped out of school. Um, I had some money saved up and I was like, all right, I've got about six months to to get to where my cash flow is higher than my expenses yeah. for my business. Well, you know, I was interviewed a couple of days ago and they, the guys asked, you know, where did my entrepreneurial journey come from or where did it start? And I went back to my upbringing and that's all I ever mm -hmm. knew. My dad mm -hmm. was an entrepreneur. So I'm going to ask the same question to you. Did that, where did that come from? You've got, you got one sibling. Is that right? Yeah, so my brother and, and some, some folks in, in, in this audience might know he plays in the Grammy-nominated rock and roll band called Need to Breathe. Oh, okay, so it's, uh, I, of course, and I, and I know that because uh, I, I knew that, one, and this morning I get in the car, I was down at a cabin, get in the car, put my playlist on, and I hit random shuffle. Second song to come on is the one, Need to Breathe, uh, song about it. it's a Wake Up, I think is the name of it. Wake up dun, 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 and open up your oh, slumber. Uh, yeah, slumber. Slumber. Thank you. That's yeah. it. Yeah. I've got it on my yeah. workout playlist. So, it, I mean, I know that. Uh, well, and so there too, you know, so you've got a brother who's yeah. doing a, you know, he's a music artist, self-employed thing. And he and his wife, I know from you do a, they've got a construction company. I could houses. say they build tree yeah. houses. Yeah. So that's So kind of connecting all the dots. Yeah. So my dad runs a local construction company. Okay. That's what I was My looking. mom's a realtor. Um, she was a dental hygienist for 25 years, then pivoted to real estate. So essentially running your own business. And then uh, my brother has uh, Bolt Farm tree houses, the number one, and kind of with my dad and mom as well, they built the first one. And then now my brother's taking it to go to just kind of the full business. So number one, Airbnb in South Carolina, they're building another location in Chattanooga. It's luxury romantic tree houses uh, and um, domes and things like that, Airbnb style. So Kind of for me, my brother Blaze, I mean, I had an amazing foundation with my parents. That's what my brother and I wrote our first book about is kind of the 15 things our parents taught us growing up that we thought was normal. But then we got out in the real world and realized no one gets taught this stuff. And it's his yeah. perspective as a musician, my perspective as a business guy. And so my brother had always kind of went out and kind of uh, uh, Davy Crockett or whatever, uh, uh, Daniel Boone, just blazed the path. And we're, we're from a very small town. I mean, my, my parents worked but not met working night shift at a factory. Right. And so he went out and everyone said, Hey, when are you gonna stop doing music and get a real job? And then he got a major record deal. I mean, pretty, pretty massive band, huge success with that band. And then came back and kind of 
blaze the trail, right? It's like we all need that person in our life to shatter our beliefs of what's possible. And that's what he did for me. And then I, so I think that combined with the foundations that my parents taught me, gave me the courage and confidence to start little businesses. And then that just kind of snowballed into big ish well, that we have today. And I want to back into some of that, but would you say in that right there that we all, it's a great statement that we all need that person to blaze a trail ahead of us. So you had your parents in one sense, and then your brother as well. And I definitely, you know, had my, my parents I mean, I grew up doing small business with my dad. It's all I knew. And it made it completely palatable uh, to me. And it also fit who I am, but you saying that I need that person in my life to blaze a trail. Is that a primary impetus motive for you and what you do today, trying to blaze that trail to help give permission to other people to go do what they want to do. Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, and, and from a book's perspective, writing and publishing my book was, we always talk about, it's, it's kind of like this key that opens the door to Narnia is this magical world that, you know, only exists for published authors and like opens up these opportunities that you didn't know existed. So for me, the book represented that. And so I think that's a big part of why I'm so passionate about what we do with self-publishing school is the books doing that. But then I think there's also that, that getting around like-minded people, which for me feeling like, okay, growing up, growing up, and then I'm looking around and I feel like the oddball. And so it's like, how do you, and so I'm super passionate about the underdog and young people yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and just inspiring them to chase after their dreams. And, um, and so that's a, that's a big part of what I'm passionate about doing and what we try to do. Okay. I'm, we're going to jump all over the place. I, I, I often take kind of a chronological view, but uh, you keep hitting on stuff that I had for us and I'm not going to leave it since we're on it already. That having people to, you know, support. So a couple unique things. Well, I'm a big fan of the concept of blue zones, Dan Butner, you know, blue zones, the healthiest people in the world. I talk about this yeah. so often across all my shows, yeah. healthiest people in the world are those who live in a community of healthy people. They don't mm -hmm. have to try mm -hmm. to do anything. It's just part of life. And for us to all have our blue zones is awesome. You are uh, standing in your, one of your blue zones, uh, your entrepreneurial home in San Diego. And I knew about it, but I actually read about it, you know, since getting ready for this interview that you had and this and things that may have changed, but at the time you created your blue zone, you brought in other entrepreneurs, you've got a house, brought them in, in San Diego, you wake up every morning with fellow entrepreneurs. And you even talked about not only are you sharing work support, but even life support, you talked about doing yeah. diets together and doing things like that. Yeah. That's stout. So there's one. And then, I, of course, you're referring to your self-publishing school is your other community yeah. of uh, Blue Zone. Fair? Yes. Yes. And so I'm, you know, it's the Jim Rohn quote, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And, and a lot of people can quote that, but not a lot of people act on it. And yeah. so that was my effort. And so I started the first Entrepreneur House gosh, 2014 or so. When I dropped out, I moved into an entrepreneur house in Iowa. And I said, oh, this is really cool. Then I moved to San Diego, started one. And now there's, gosh, I think two or three in San Diego, maybe two or, or so in Los Angeles. Um, and it's not like a business or anything. It was just kind of sprouted out. And, and now it's just these pockets of people. And so I said, hey, if I, I can live with five people, or maybe five people, including me. And why don't I find someone who grows me spiritually, find someone who uh, helps, helps me grow from a business perspective, find someone who helps me go grow from a health perspective. Yeah. Like why don't I pick people and put them around me intentionally in a way that's going to help me grow. And, 
And then similarly with our communities with self-publishing schools, like how do you pull together people that are along the same path or at the same part in their book journey? And it's like and, a co-working, it's like you started your own co-working space. Did yes, you? And yes. so I'm going to ask a couple of details as people are hearing this and having ideas for themselves. Did you literally buy a house and then bring people in or did you just take the lease out? Yeah, I took the lease and, and, and so kind of how I did this and I've got a, it's an, it's a, a longer video and uh, on i I've got a seven figure principles uh, podcast and YouTube channel, which is like principles of scaling a business. And it's just like a fun side project, but the, the, I, I outlined this video and basically it's, I got the lease, um, but I first had people apply. So I put together an application said, Hey, this is what we're creating. I set the vision. Uh, I said, think, you know, Steve jobs and Wozniak in their basement. Like that's what we're creating. And then had people apply and then got people committed. And then they put it in a deposit, um, a non-refundable deposit to say, Hey, I'm in. And then, and then I, and with their help went out and found a place, we got a lease, we set it up. And then it was, uh, you know, all the, you know, setting up like a weekly mastermind and goal setting and the whiteboards everywhere and someone to come in and cook all of our meals and do our grocery shopping and like things like that to just help the house run and help give us maximum time to, to, to go towards our goals. That's incredible. Okay. Details again, coming back to your catalyst for writing. So here is you guys grow up in this entrepreneurial home. Your, your brother's doing some things, you're doing some things. And the two of you, do I have this right? You guys write a yeah. book together and it's that process that sparks your idea to do this on a bigger scale. So you guys wrote the book and I assume you self-published it. How did you do it at that yes. time? Was it kind of the, the newbie rookie thing? Did you do something that was already existing in that space? Yeah. So, I mean, it was, as I was dropping out of school, my brother and I had this phone call and we said, and there's, I feel like there's these things that we both thought everyone knew, but then you get out in the real world and you realize people don't actually know these things. And that's when you realize, wow, I've got better parents than I thought. <laughs> and, and, and also I, I feel compelled to, to share this with other people and teach this. And so him and I decided to write the book on those 15 things, again, from his perspective, he's a musician, me as a business guy. And then about that same time, I studied abroad before I dropped out and I wrote and published a second book. And, and so, and then, it, so when I dropped out, I knew I was going to run a business, but didn't know what it was. And kind of one of those things where somebody can only smack you in the face so many times before you turn around and look and you turn around and look and there's a whole line of people there. So people kept asking, Hey, how are you doing this? How are you doing this? I get on the phone for 45 minutes and teach them everything I knew for free just to be a nice person. And then finally I had enough of those conversations where it was, I said, hold up, I'm working on this business that's totally failing. What if instead people are voting? So this is a lesson for people. When people are asking you questions about a thing over and over and over again, there's probably a business there. And so that's where, you know, or, or inside your business, that's probably the most lucrative or profitable part of your business. And so that's where it, the light bulb went on for me. I said, hey, let's try this. We did an initial cohort, 44 students, I think, it was like over 60% of them wrote and published their book within six months. And so that's when it was, I said, okay, this is legit. We can help other people get success with their books. And then we've just been scaling and growing since then. So let me jump back. You've got parents, um, entrepreneurs, 
but you went to college. So even though you're running businesses early on doing these, these businesses to make a buck and I, I mean, that's what I did. So here I am, you know, running these businesses, making, you know, my friends are making a minimum wage. And back then I'm making like 50 bucks an hour. I was tenting windows yeah. on homes yeah. and cars. So you're doing that. You get the idea of profit and loss, run a business, whatever, but you still went into school. What was the motive for that? Yeah. So I, I ran the businesses to save money for college eventually. And I went to school at College of Charleston studying business and entrepreneurship, which is kind of hilarious. Come to think of it, it's like they now have an entrepreneurial degree. But it, it, the, the light bulb for me is two things. They wanted me to take all of these prereqs before I could even get to the business classes. And I was like, well, hold up. I'm not here to take the prereqs. I'm here to learn business. Like, because I felt like I was building, building, building. And all right, college, that's finally going to be when I can learn how to run a business academically and learn the nuts and bolts. And I was very excited about that. And then we had the prereq conversation like day one with my counselor. And I'm thinking, all right, this is not off to a good start. And then ultimately just discovering I'm learning how to run a business from professors who had never ran a business. Uh, and that didn't make too much sense to me. So that's why I decided to drop out. But in the, in the bridge there, I work with student painters. They teach you how to run a business by running an exterior house painting company. That for me, I was number one in the company, number one in the country. It's the internship, first six figure company. Like that to me was the Navy SEALs of entrepreneurship. Mm. Um, hell week, except over seven months. I mean, it was wild. But that gave me the confidence to say, hold up, I can actually do this and I'm going to drop out. And I got about a six month runway and let's give this a shot. So that, so then you, you, take the reins and say, I'm going to run a business helping people publish a book, which you had done twice at that point. Is that right? Yes. Yes. And I, and I asked this, I don't, I don't know if I missed it, but how did you guys self publish at that point? I mean, what was available and what resources did you use then that I assume you thought, hell, I can help package this for people or I can do it better. Tell, yeah. me, tell me what happened. We, we self-published through Amazon. Okay. And, and that's the beauty is that, you know, it used to be you had to have an agent to get a publishing deal, right. publishing deal to get into bookstores. <laughs> bookstores were how you sold books, right? Now, 70% of books sold are sold on Amazon and you don't need a publisher to publish on Amazon. So we just kind of pieced together a bunch of stuff. Um, and I think we, there was a course that we went through and then there was just a bunch of Googling. And so uh, kind of going through that process, I figured, hey, I can create something that will better consolidate this and just give kind of a proven path for people to follow. And um, so that's, that's why we created self-publishing school and the how the first time was just a bunch of trial and error and research and, uh, you know, just uh, honestly applying a lot of the guerrilla marketing techniques that I use from or learned from the multiple business, especially student painters um, and applying all those same principles to publishing a book. And I think that really helped from a marketing perspective. You are listening to The Ziegler Show in this episode with Chandler Bolt on book writing and the possibility of self-publishing. Again, if you're interested at looking into your own book writing, connect with Chandler and his team at self-publishingschool.com slash apply. Next, we talk about the business side of publishing and self-publishing specifically. It's one thing to write a book. Of course, it's another to know how to run a business around that or include it in your business, sell a thing, all that stuff. So we'll hit that right after I share some great resources with you. So you're one, you've got two focal points. It sounds like you've got one helping people who want to have a book. 
which I, I want to dig into. And then the other is, as you have done this and created a sex, successful business, is teaching people business as well, which I assume the majority of the people writing a book need as well to do that. But let me ask you that. How, what are the reasons that you see, I'm going to ask you two different ways, because I know you have reasons of, Hey, here is why to write a book, but why do people first off come to you with the idea of doing a book? What are the primary catalysts for them to think of writing a book to begin with? Yeah. Yeah. So it depends on the person it's there's, I want to write a book to grow my business is a primary example. There's, I want to write a book from a legacy perspective. So I want to write this thing. And even if it sells only sells five copies, I can pass this to my kids, my kids, kids, like this is going to yeah. be a part of my legacy after I'm off this earth. Uh, and I'd say those are the two, two main. And then for some people it's amplifying their impact. Uh, right. And, and I know, um, you know, I love the Zig quote, which is, you know, I, I people can, can, can come to my talk and I can't necessarily change their life in 45 minutes, but if they come to my talk, they might be able to buy my book and buy my yeah. tapes and things like that. And that, and that way I can change their life. So I look at it as we call it, I call it leveraged impact. So it's the ability to do work once and crystallize this into a book. And then that thing goes on and sells thousands, tens of thousands, maybe even millions of copies. And so it's an impact piece and it's a way to have impact on a mass scale through one vehicle, um, which is a book. Well, I obviously have you on here because I'm an advocate of what you do and who you are, but I want us to take the opportunity to kind of needle in on some of the, you know, some of the issues that really come up. And it's interesting. I had, I talked uh, a couple weeks ago with J Jordan Harbinger. I don't know if you know Jordan. He's out, actually, yeah. he's out in your neck of the woods, I think. Um, out there in California. I think so, so yeah, he's out there, you know, huge show. So I'm getting, you know, 450,000 download, uh, downloads in a month. He's getting over 6 million. You know, he's got the Jordan Harbinger show. It's all him. It's so impressive. I look to him for mentoring on podcasting. He's also a great, uh, kind of a, a persona for how to win friends and influence people. Very Ziggler. -esque. So I like that. So we're yeah. talking and, you know, huge numbers. And talking about, which we're going to get, in, I want to ask you some questions about, because I just signed a book deal. Um, and I asked him, what about him? And I actually thought he had told me a year ago he was going to do that. And his response a couple weeks ago is he says, I'm not going to. I said, why? Because, you know, of course, look at his numbers. He'd get a, a, a great offer on a book deal right now. And he says, I really just don't have something important enough to me worth killing a tree for. But, uh, <laughs> I, I love that. But, uh, I, I like that. So days later, I'm talking to my dad, or maybe I had my dad do a show and he was lamenting people coming to him saying, Hey, I'd like to start a podcast and, but I'm not sure what it's going to be about. You know, what do you think I should write do a podcast about? He's like, seriously, if the only reason you would do a podcast is specifically if you have something you want to bring, you know, to the world. So I want to lay that out for you because I know that, uh, you know, having a, a, a book is so great for credibility. It's so great for your business. And yet we have this over here and I got to admit, I struggle with being inundated with books that a lot right. of times are great stories. You know, here's somebody and they built a million dollar business or a hundred million dollar business or whatever. And they tell a story and they say, here's where I was. I took the best business development practices. I applied them and it worked. And here I am. That's awesome. It, it doesn't really bring something new to the table. And I'm trying to extrapolate out of it. What can I bring and really have a unique message for on this show? So 
there's just an honest grappling of oh, for sure. why to write a book. Play with that with me for a second. Yeah. And so I think it's, it's for most people, it starts in one of two places. And so it's almost everyone is a knowledge worker, meaning you get paid for, for doing a job or a business and with some sort of expertise, right? And in that oftentimes it's the best place to write a book. Okay. And so, you know, it, it's, it's uh, you know, if I were to try to do what you do today, there would be what I call the gap. It's the gap between what I know, knowing nothing to what you know with years or decades of experience. And so I think you need, I agree, like you need to have something compelling to share. So that's a piece. And then the second piece is if you're running a business, what are the broken record conversations that you keep having over and over and over again with every new client or prospect. And the best way to stop talking about that thing is to write a book on it and then just point to that book. And that book will be the best thing you could ever create to, to, you know, to generate more lead sales and referrals for your business. So that's the way I think about it. And then unpacking it a couple different other ways, which is, you know, it's when I was in scouts growing up and my, my scout master said kind of jokingly, he said, you know, if we're in the woods and, we run upon a bear. Uh, you don't have to be faster than the bear. You just have to be faster than your the, friend. The next guy. <laughs> and, and, right? yeah. and, and so I think a lot of people, they get in their head about creating a book and they think they have to know everything and you don't have to know everything. You just have to know a little bit more than the person that you're teaching. And I think in some ways it's, you can make an even bigger impact because those folks wouldn't read a book that like the average American, I think it's like 1.2 books a year or something sad that they read. Uh, but but it, they might read your book because you're more approachable or they relate to you more when they wouldn't read a Tony Robbins or an Oprah or, a, a you know, Seth Godin or whoever else. Right. And so I think there's that on one end. And I think the flip side, because I. I, I, I think I used to agree with you a little bit more on this, which is I had a friend. He said, Chandler, do you think everyone should write a book? like, no, I don't think they should. And he said, well, what about this? He's like, you ever wonder like the lessons that your great grandfather learned during his time on the earth? It's like, well, yeah, I, I, I would love to know those things. He's like, so what about that? Just if, you know, we only learn, you know, it's like your parents teach you 30 to 40% of what their parents teach you, which is 30 to 40% of what their parents. So we got all this knowledge that just gets lost from person to person transfer. Yeah. Uh, and, and what if you just had that book? And so I think that changed it to where, okay, that's more of a memoir asks and, and legacy type thing. But even if that's your goal or ambition, like I, I think that's a, it's a, it's a quality goal or ambition because you can pass down those lessons to your, to your kids and kids, kids. Well, and I appreciate what you said too on, you kind of gave a caveat to, you know, know a little bit more than the next guy or something a little bit unique, even there though. And I've just, man, I've been amazed to see this at some time. Well, cause there's, you know, Solomon said it a long time ago, there's nothing new under the sun. Can I really yeah. bring something absolutely new? And again, I'm, I'm, I'm admitted my jadedness here a little bit, you know, the next seven secrets to this or the things you've never known. I'm like, come For on, sure. yeah. I get, I get worn out with yes. that, but we can't, you know, so, so here I am, you know, what do I have something? I got a book deal right now. Is it really something new? I don't think exists out there. No, it's a different perspective. It's one that I think is maybe more relevant for today's time. So I hope it's unique in that. And then, as you said, it's, it's my voice, it's my flavor and somebody who likes hearing from 
a guy who was an ex-pro athlete who has a huge family and lives up in the mountains and sees from my perspective might like listening to me, hearing from me, reading from me different than this guy over here. Who's kind of saying the same thing, but he's a suit and guy Ferrari guy in, in LA or San Diego or whatever. (laughs) And I appreciate that. I mean, I I get the books across my desk. Here's two. It's the same sales message, but man, I really resonate with this person. I'm going to go with them. Absolutely. There's huge. I mean, it's, it's to that degree. Then you'd say there's endless opportunity, wouldn't you? Absolutely. And it's not, and not, it's not necessarily new. It's just new to your intended audience, which that I think is still unbelievably powerful. And then not to mention just the, 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 I mean, like, kind of like you said that if I've got two, two people I'm evaluating between one person has the book, well, then I'm going to go with that person. So it's, I mean, it's, it's overused, but a book is the new business card. You give someone a, a book or sorry, you give someone a business card, they'll probably, uh, you know, throw it away within 24 hours. You give yeah. them a book, they take a home. It's in their office. It's in their home. And every I can't see it. They think I, you. I can't get rid of books. I probably got, I, I, I'd have to count them up. I don't know how a couple hundred of books sent to me that, you know, or just for whatever reasons, not the right flavor for me, not the right, not the right, uh, message that I want for the show. Man, I can't to get rid of them. is just, it's heartbreaking. <laughs> You're totally yeah. right. And, and how many of them have I gone back to again and thought, well, wait a minute. Let me look at, or I'll hear about somebody else talking about, go, I think I have that book and I'll go and pick it up. And then boom, they end up on the show. You're so right with, uh, uh, it, it, it's the best business card. No doubt. No doubt. Um, so, you know, with this, you know, looking at the messages, well, I'll use Zig Ziglar. I mean, he wrote, see you at the top. Are we going to write a book that's better than that? I would say everybody should read that from now till the end of time. And yet, Zig has been gone now for years. He's passed away. He's not a new voice. And unfortunately, I feel like the reality is there's some people who aren't, they just aren't going to go read a book from a guy who passed away five, 10, 50 years ago to some degree. And there again lies the opportunity to write something new and a new flavor and write it in regards to, I mean, I play his clips on the show a lot. He never talks about a smartphone. They didn't exist. Uh, he, he went, yeah. you know, I mean, he wasn't using one. So there again, is that another one that you see is it's just relevant to bring it fresh into a new time period, which our times, you know, are changing so fast now. Maybe that again, bodes more opportunity. I absolutely agree with that. And I saw that, you know, even when I was early on in my sales career, I, I read his secrets of selling book and, and that was a big part of me getting started. Uh, and with, with student painters and with sales. And so I think even if, even it lives long after you're off this earth and and can keep teaching new people, even in a new time. Yep. Okay. So I mentioned that, you know, here you are with self-publishing school. I've got you on the show and I just signed a book deal with a traditional publisher, which I'm sure you see amongst the people, you know, your peers, your friends who talk to you and maybe sometimes feel a little bit ashamed if they go the other way, but talk about that. Talk about when it, when, if it's relevant either way, pros and cons, just hit it there. Yeah. So as far as self-publishing versus traditional publishing goes, I mean, there's really three or four main differences. There's distribution, there's royalty rates, um, and there's cost to publish. And then maybe a fourth would be how long it takes. And so from a distribution perspective, like I mentioned, it still is, if you want to get in traditional books, uh, bookstores, it's, you know, you're better off traditional publishing. It's possible to get your self-published book into bookstores, 
um, it, it's just harder. I've got an interview on the, the self-publishing school podcast um, with Pat Flynn on how he got his self-published book into um, bookstores. Is that still too loud? Hey, you know what? No, we're just going to go candid. So you're in a big city and somebody's doing construction next to you. Hopefully, <laughs> if it just continues to be ridiculous, we'll go with it. But like uh, like I said to you, I, I don't think I ever have anybody on in New York where you don't hear a siren. So folks, this is just a siren. If the banging gets too too much, we'll, we'll stop it. But let's just go with it. So, so yeah, distribution. I mean, you would hope that. That's what we hope the publisher will do uh, is get it in the bookstores. And obviously, they have the ability to do that. No, they're not going to just blame at the world and put you in the airport day one. But, you know, let me start on this too. If, let me say this, is it, is it fair to say if you have, if you do not, if you have something to write, but you do not have an audience, it's, we know it's going to be really hard to get a book oh, deal yeah. these days. It's not impossible. Yes. Yes. And, and so for 99.9% .9 of people, it makes more sense to self-publish. The only time it makes sense to traditionally publish is if you can get a big advance. And so I can go through the other stuff. Royalty rates, eight to 12% traditional publishing, 20 to 80% self-publishing. Yeah. Cost, I mean, there's a cost, but really the long and short of it is only go with the traditional publisher if you can get a big advance. And to get a big advance, you need a big audience uh, and the ability to move books. Let, let so me it's kind of like, yeah, you, I'm sure you got stories on this, but I had one just recently. So I had Ben Hardy, Dr. Benjamin Hardy. He wrote uh, Willpower Doesn't Work and recently uh, Personality Isn't Permanent. And I've had him on the Ziggler Show a couple of times. I just had him on my Motive Show to talk about. He's got such a great story. And he told me, and it was off, it was off the, the mic, so I won't divulge the, the numbers or, or all the numbers, but he was getting a lot of traffic on medium. So he's blogging on medium and he actually became the number one, uh, most read blogger on there at a certain time. He's still one of the top ones. So he's there and he says, Hey, but he's building a, an email list. He's got like 5,000 people. He talks to Jeff Goins. You know, Jeff, Jeff is big in the writing space as well. And he says, Hey man, should I, you know, I, I'm looking at going to do a book deal. You know, what do you think? And Jeff says, honestly, if you want to get something decent, why don't you grow that 5k to about hundred K which he did. <laughs> yeah. he, so he did, he grew it there. And then he went and for his very first traditional book, uh, which was uh, discipline, um, uh, uh, so willpower doesn't work. I believe he got a, uh, he got a six figure book deal and, and actually a little bit beyond that, but that's huge. Who has a hundred thousand dollar? I don't have a hundred thousand dollar email list. Um, so does that feel like that's, that's the first off. That's the big fact. You don't have an, yes. an audience. Yes. I mean, at this point, oh, can't we say I, you're not going to yeah. get a traditional book deal? Yes, because, you know, no one else when this is a big thing to, to communicate as well. Um, no one else cares as much about your book or, or, or you as you do. And so it's so important that you learn marketing. And so people think, oh, my publisher is going to market it for me or I'm going to pay someone to market it for me. The first thing the publishers are going to ask and when you pitch them on signing your book is, OK, how are you going to sell this? <laughs> and, and so you have to have an audience and it's kind of like you, maybe you've heard the saying banks only lend money to people who don't need it. Uh, well, publishers only give publishing deals to people who can sell books without them. Right. And so yeah. that's the difference. You need an audience for it to make sense. Well, and there you go. So, you know, so I do, I'm, I'm grateful to have that, but I still had people cause I know a lot of people who are in the self-published space that said, man, you've got the audience. You could sell it yourself, make a heck of a lot more money. You're going to sell books. So I'll be candid with, with the reality, because you know, to what you said, nobody cares about your book as much as you do. That's true. I have some big name literary agents. They don't care about as much as I do. I have a publisher now. 
they don't care about it as much as I do. I'm not looking to them to market it. I do appreciate the distribution, but they did give me an advance, which I, you know, I do like money. I appreciate that. They are spending the money to print the books, publish them and put them, you know, they'll put them in a lot of places and then see how things go. And if it goes well, they'll put them in more. And if not, then it's just going to go off. And here I am getting a pretty puny uh, royalty when it's said and done. So yeah, there's a reality, but I also can say that I didn't want to mess with it. I have some too many other irons in the fire and I didn't want to mess with it, but that is an option. So I could have gone over here and made a case for publishing it myself. So you did talk about distribution. You talked about the difference yeah. in the royalties. You're going to make a lot more self-publishing. Talk about the cost to publish because yeah, I've heard, That's... I've heard, I have friends who have done it on a bootstrap and I've had friends who have money and they spent stupid amounts of money. Give us some ideas. Yeah. Here. And so from a cost perspective, there's three paths. There's traditional publishing. Obviously, they're covering the cost for you. There's hybrid publishing, which you're paying someone to publish your book. Could be $10,000, dollars $30,000. And they, you might, that might mean you get to keep the royalties. That might mean they also take a cut of the royalties. Uh, it kind of depends. Uh, and then there's self-publishing. So you're going you're gonna to pay a few hundred dollars to a few thousand bucks to actually publish this thing, then you can go print on demand and, and that sort of thing um, if you choose to do that. And so that can, but then also there's the other cost, which not a lot of people consider, which is the cost of your time, Yeah, that, which, yeah. you know, if you're taking two years to go to the tr two minimum, maybe even three years to go to the traditional publishing route, well, every five additional hours you spend on this book is a hundred dollars worth of your time, right? So yeah. it can really add up over time. Oh, and that was relevant here. I mean, I, yeah, my book that I could have out in months, it's gonna, it's, it's gonna be, it's gonna take a while on, on that side. You know, talk real quick, because I know you know the space about the hybrid, because I don't think, I've been hearing about it for years, and I know people who have done it, but I don't think people do, and I don't know why it matters to name one. Um, isn't one of the bigger ones at this point, Morgan James, as a hybrid publisher? And my understanding yep. there, just from third hand, you know, people who have done it, because I get a lot of books from people who have gone with them, is it's something like a five grand expense up front, but they do give you some extra help or, or they help with distribution. Is that what the hybrid model tries to do? Yeah. And so I will say, I think Morgan James is probably one of the best hybrid publishers. Hybrid publishing is kind of the wild, wild west. Some people call it vanity publishing. It can be all over the map. I mean, it can be, hey, you're going to pay $30,000 um, to, to, to publish this book hybrid with us. Or it can be, I think Morgan James, they are actually closer to a traditional publisher, but they typically give you a better uh, royalty yeah. rate and it's lower cost. So I say they're one of the better ones, but it, it, that's all kind of the range. And that's what I've heard. Now, I, and I know some big names that have gone with Morgan James, who I know could have gotten a book deal, but they just were so confident in their audience and being able to sell. They wanted control. They wanted it faster and they wanted to make more money from the sale. So I won't, I, I won't name the names. Well, I guess it doesn't matter. I mean, if they got a book out, you can go see that it's Morgan James. So uh, Mark, Tim and Kevin Harrington, who just wrote uh, Mentor to Millions, and I had them on the show. What's Kevin Harrington? This is the original shark. You know, he's got a huge audience. He's got a golden Rolodex. And I assume, I didn't ask him, I guess I could, I've got his text, but I didn't ask him. But I assume he said, I'm not going to give it to a publisher and wait for a year or two or more and get yeah. a puny royalty. I'm going to do it myself. So they did. And I'm sure they're benefiting from that. You know, as we talk about this, that is the point of your self-publishing school is to help people understand these 
route. So uh, granted, so, so that's what you're going to help them. You help them with there, but tell me about the actual writing because having a story, having something relevant is one thing. How many people get put up by thinking, Oh my gosh, I have to be Ernest Hemingway and write this, you know, majestic tome. I'm not a writer like that. What do you do there? Yeah, so there, there's a process um, I, I kind of teach. It's, it's called the mind map outline write process. And guess what? This also can be the mind map outline speak process. And so I would say, first off, play to your strengths. If you speak better than you write, do that. Hmm. Um, now, some people have heard about speaking a book and, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of people do that the wrong way. They just turn on their phone and start recording and start talking. I don't recommend doing that. But that's why the first two steps are really important. So I always start with, OK, what's your idea that you want to write about? We talked about that. Now, let's mind map everything you can think of on that idea. So what are the ideas that you have, the stories that you have, the lessons that you've learned? If you're a business owner, the broken record conversations that you just keep repeating over and over and over again. What are those? Get all those out on a mind map. Secondly, turn that mind map into an outline by grouping ideas into groups or sections. So you've got maybe five groups of ideas or five sections. Order those sections in the order that you want to cover them. Drill down about three chapters per section. Now you've completed step two, which is uh, you've got about a 15 chapter outline that you can use to actually write this thing. And then you write the book, step three, one chapter at a time. So you start with chapter one, you spend 10 minutes mind mapping everything you can think of on that chapter, 10 minutes turning that mind map into an outline, and then either 45 minutes to an hour and a half actually writing the chapter and repeat that process chapter by chapter by chapter, or 10 minutes speaking the chapter and repeat that process chapter by chapter by chapter. So that's kind of the process that, that I teach and that we walk people through as they're getting started to help get a rough draft done. Because that's the most important thing is get a rough draft done and you're going to start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And then you can make that book better, hire an editor, work with an editor to turn that into a, a, a real quality book. What about style? just the flavor of the book, because I admit grappling with it in, in a good way, because my gosh, I mean, you know, so I, I got my bookshelf here. I'm sure you've got a big one at your house and you read these things. Let's just say that you're doing a, uh, a nonfiction book, something in the business development, personal development space. Well, on the shelf behind me, there's, I, and I've never done this. You probably know this, but there's probably 10 different styles, five different styles. 50, I, I don't know. I mean, we have people who are writing them as, you know, stories like fictional story analogies, people like Andy Andrews, you know, and the traveler's gift and things like that, doing that route. And I've got multiples of those. You've got other people who are writing this from a, a third person, some with a first person, some with a memoir as part of it, some with this. So these flavors and styles. And when I look at those, man, I, especially if after I read one, I can kind of sway and start writing along that. Now I, I, I'm, I would admit I'm a prolific writer, I would say. So I can start writing along that way, but I'm thinking, what, what is me? What is me? Me would be like, I can give you one page. There's a bullet points at the point there, go. Well, that's not a book. You know, you, you want more in that to actually engage. So how do you guide people to what style, I guess, fits them slash fits the marketplace? Totally. And, and, and so one of the things I'll recommend here, because there's a bunch of practical tips I could give, like the different types of styles. Are you doing story based? Are you doing framework based? Are you doing kind of all those things? Uh, but one of the biggest tips I'd give is think of one person 
Like who's one person that you know that needs to read this book? And I'm sorry, the construction is well, just a swing over here. Um, <laughs> we're hammering away. Uh, but think of who's one person that you know that needs this message and write your book as a letter to that one person. All right. Now, a lot of people will say, hey, you need an avatar. I think an avatar is a generally good idea, um, but it's too broad still. Like who's one person that you actually know? Yeah. Like one person in your life that you actually know and then write it as a letter. So if it was you, Kevin, I might say, dear Kevin, and actually write that in the manuscript for the chapter. And then that's, and then I write the chapter to you. So anytime I think of questions of, should I use this story or should I not? Should I use this tone or should I not? Yeah. Should I be funny? Should I tell this joke? I just ask, oh, well, what, would Kevin like this or would Kevin not? And so then I write it that way. And then you just remove the dear so-and-so. And then that's how you write in a style that's genuine to you. But more important than it being genuine to you is that it's effective um, for your target audiences and, and, and it resonates with them. I mean, to that degree, so here I am actively writing a book. I am looking at my demographic specifically and looking at the books, bottom line, that are selling really well in that space. I mean, right. And it's interesting. My, so my publisher sends me every week a list of the top 20 or more. Uh, I don't know why you probably know why I don't know why they separate out hardback and paperback or, or, or whatever, why they do that. But this, tell me what's, what's, you know, selling overall. And you see the numbers and every week, uh, like James clear, he has atomic habits every week. It's another 15,000 books. I mean, the guy is just selling books like hotcakes. So of course I'm thinking, and I'm aware of the book and I've read excerpts and stuff. I just bought the book. I'm going to go through it step by step and see what is the flavor? What is the style? Of course I have to you know, uh, uh, cash that with another book on the list that's in the same demographic, that's the same, you know, personal development or business development that's written in a different way, but still to ask why are these resonating? I mean, it, it can't be, I mean, to some degree we have this, well, he's not a celebrity, not, not in the same fact of right now, both of the Obamas are on the list. I would venture to say that they could violate a lot of best business practices that we're talking about. They're still going to sell books. So I'm going to, is it fair to, I'm going to discount them a little bit. Let me look at the non-celebrities. Oh, absolutely. Okay. absolutely. Yeah. And, and one thing I think about is also what's the hook, the title and the subtitle, right? Because that's what resonates with people. And so even before they buy the book, because yeah, there's a lot of word of mouth from Atomic Habits, but also look at the hook, what's the subject matter, what's the title and what's the subtitle, because that's the reason people are buying it. And that combined with the actual cover itself is what's causing people to pick up the book and say, hey, I want to buy this and buying the book even before they know the style that's inside the book. Right. OK, well, we got to hit that then, you know, with the age old. Have we heard any cliche more than uh, you know, judging a book by its cover, which it is. It's true. They're going to judge, you know, us by how we look by the book cover. And I ask, so I asked my publisher a couple weeks ago, I said, you know, as we're talking about some of the books and I said that one, she said, he knocked it out of the park with his headline and tagline and the term, you know, atomic habits. We've got people right now at the top of the list, like Mark Manson with the subtle art of giving an F, which, you know, I, that's not my flavor of a title, but it sure stands out. And he nailed it for his specific audience. And so when I look at these books that I get every day, I got one again today. It's all I average about it, one a day across my desk. Honestly, I'm blown away by how many come to me from the big name publishing houses. And it's just the most vanilla title, or it's the same one as I've heard. 
and this is, this is so unfair and I'm so sorry for all the toes that I'm stepping on by saying this, but the amount of books with a headline that has the term leader in it are, are mind blowing to me. And it tells me now it I get so many, it tells me absolutely nothing. And I have to dig in or ask and say, okay, what is different about this book? What is the point of this book? Doesn't mean that there's not awesome material in it, but I am a bit dismayed by the titles. And so looking at the bestseller list and going, what again, not let's go non-celebrity people. Um, and look, what are the ones that have been selling and continue to sell? I love looking at that, the Amazon, New York Times best selling for the year. I mean, is that not just the gold mine? It seems like. Yeah. And, and man, I, so a couple of things. I mean, so it's like, I agree. So the change your life, change your future, blah, blah, blah. Like the more broad, yes. it, the, the worse it's going to sell. So if one, if there's one piece of advice I can give is be as, as specific as possible. And again, think of the one person and think, how do I, how am I as specific as possible, as provocative as possible. Um, but I speak to, and I love, I just pulled up James's book. If you see the subtitle, as he says, an easy and proven way to build good habits and break bad ones. Yeah. So right off the, he's speaking to both. We try to go one or the other at minimum, which is speak to the pain or speak to the benefit. Yeah. And if you can speak to one of those two, you're doing really well. Usually he's speaking to both in that title and subtitle, which is breaking bad habits. So that's solving a pain. A lot of people want to break a bad habit. He speaks to that in that title, build good habits. That's a benefit or what we call like kind of vitamins versus pain pills. And so he's sp speaking to both in that. And then he also has on the cover, you see tiny changes, uh, he, remarkable. Yeah. It's results. like a second slogan. Yeah. I'm looking at it over here on my floor. Yeah. It's, it's so it's, and it jumps. So, so to think about that, if yours is going to be on the end cap at a bookstore or you know, on the, I mean, I, a lot of times when I'm looking at one book on Amazon, I'll scroll down to the people who like this generally, like I've checked out this book or however they do that and look at the titles. And it's, it's, it's unfortunate, I guess, how weighty just that bit is. But again, I, I, you've got big name publishing houses. I don't know how, I don't know how to reconcile that. You got big name publishing houses, putting money behind books and I'm surprised sometimes at just, again, how vanilla the headlines are and or the, or the titles and the taglines are because, yeah, the competition is so fierce. It feels like that's got to be, I mean, it's probably not fair, but it, you could wreck a good message by not nailing that. Yes? 100% agree. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to take the hammering going on the background as the, the moniker for this thing that you guys, you got to hammer your message home. You got you to hammer it daily to get this thing done. Uh, well, this, this aspect of, of writing a book though, I mean, we have an aspiring audience. I mean, if I say that constantly, if they weren't, they'd be listening to NPR's crime scene or whatever, and just passing the time with entertainment. People here that want to make a difference. And I was impacted. You'll appreciate this Chandler. It was, man, I need to get the date in front of me, but it must've been 2013, 14, something like that, where I was speaking for, I was down and I met uh, Zig for the first time. Well, no, actually I hadn't, I'd met him at an event long ago as a kid, but um, spent a day with him and interviewed him, whatever. And this was after he had he had fallen, had a brain injury, and he was getting older in age. And so, I mean, he was still speaking on stage, but they would work to kind of keep him on track, but he would repeat things. But what I found in spending a day with him, probably 10 hours or something, is that he would repeat the gold. 
And the thing he said over and over, and this is sh- yeah, shameful for me because I'm talking, you know, now, whatever it is, six years later uh, or whatever it is. And he, but he told, he said, Kevin, you got to write a book. You got to write. He was adamant. You've got to write a book. Anybody that's, you know, pursuing excellence in their life that wants to see you at the top. He said, you've got to write a book. So I get that, but I'm going to come out, you know, come back and, and undergird that with having something unique to say, having a unique flavor, uh, there. But again, that is what you guys help with is auditing that. Is that fair to say? I mean, do you, do you have the points of in your membership with your folks of going that, you know, it needs, needs, needs a little work. I don't, I'm not getting it here. Yeah, exactly. And so that's exactly what we do. So and and important thing is it's and this is what people don't realize is that it starts before you even start writing and marketing starts before you put pen to paper and so even getting clear on and this is one of the first things that we do um, whether it's an intro call with someone or we call it a clarity call it's like the first call that we have with someone after they join self-publishing school it's okay who are you writing to what's the message that you're writing about what are, what are the pain or benefit and so we call it it's it's the four p's of a high converting offer um, or in this case a best selling book is person pain promise price uh, and the price point is easy because the book component. So you can almost just take that out, maybe dependent on format, but person, pain, promise. So who's the person or the avatar that you're writing towards? What's the pain that they have? You know, it's easier to sell pain pills than it is to sell vitamins. And so what's the pain that they have that they know that they have? So, for example, if I'm writing a book, it's about back pain. I might know that it's your posture. But if I write a posture book, you're never going to buy that book, right? Because you have back pain and you say, hey, I need help with my back pain. So I can teach the same things, but package it in a way that is actually compelling for you to pick up off the shelf and to purchase. And then the promise, which is, I mean, look back at James' book, right? Atomic Habits, an easy and proven way to build good habits and break bad ones. Tiny changes, remarkable results. And so he's speaking to the pain and the benefit or solution. And so that's where it all starts is in the hook and then making sure that you're clear on that. Cause when you're clear on that, and then, I mean, then obviously, yes, we work with people throughout the whole rest of the process and, you know, help, help them through the production part and the publishing part and especially the marketing part. I mean, that's super important, but that's how you make sure that you're nailing the messaging up front and then double down on that throughout the process. Well, I'm going to end there on the marketing. You mentioned that. And I, I'm in podcast groups. And so I'll see those on Facebook wall. I saw one today. So it's, it's every day. Hey, I got a podcast. We put it out there. It's great. You know, great content, great produce. We've had a few downloads. How do we increase listenership? And I'm, I'm looking at that going, oh my gosh, I, you know, here, here I am with a, a fairly sizable podcast, but to grow it in, in today's world where there's so much competition is difficult. So here you are and you've got somebody, they've got a great message. It may be the next atomic, you know, habits, but they don't have an audience. Now they've got something. And I know this is a huge question and a big part of what you guys do, and there's no easy answer, but to give some tidbits on ideas of, or even just giving people hope that yes, you can come from square one with that book and no audience and find an opportunity and find ways to market and sell books. Yeah. And so I'll say this, you know, I'll I'll give kind of a, a general platitude and then a specific implementables. <laughs> and so uh, Google is a search engine of browsers. Amazon is a search engine of buyers. Amazon, oh. 
you know, people go to Amazon for one reason, one reason only, that's to buy stuff. And so a lot of what you can do, it's a platform. So specific to you, Kevin, I mean, you know, the iTunes platform and it's motivated by reviews, subscribers, and downloads, yep. right? Well, guess what? Amazon's platform is exactly that. You learn all these platforms. And so it's highly motivated by reviews, uh, downloads, AKA purchases. Uh, and, and so that's a big part of it. And so how do you drive towards that? Now, then beyond that, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of things. We talk about the viral coefficient. How do you increase your viral coefficient? Which means every one book purchase leads in uh, you know, a dream scenario would be one, two or more books purchased. So integrating challenges in your book, uh, ways that people can share, uh, ways uh, uh, encouraging people to leave reviews, like all those things. And then there's what we call the three-legged stool, uh, which is, excuse me, running Amazon ads. Um, and, and that's a, one big thing that we do. Uh, there's, um, there's building an email list. And so kind of using your book to grow your email list and using your email list and what we call the review sweeper to, to follow up with people who buy the book to get them to leave a review. Mm. And then there's an author hub, which is often, you know, social or something like that. And so that's a lot of what we do. But then even just more fundamental is publish the book, <laughs> then publish it in all three formats, which a lot of people don't do. And you'll automatically sell more books. I mean, especially for you, obviously, it's the audiobook with having such a big podcast. Audiobook is going to be a huge driver of royalties and book sales. So making sure that you're very intentional about the audiobook uh, and how you market specifically the audiobook and how I would even have a separate launch for that. Uh, and then, um, so you got all formats, and I know I'm, I'm just kind of going all over the place and a bunch of stuff here, but then it's and I'm super specific about this is uh, get the, we call it the road to your first hundred reviews. So how do you be super intentional about that and couple that with another concept that we teach of a launch team, which is 15, 50 people, maybe even more who they read your book ahead of time and they leave a review on day one and generally support the launch. So now all of a sudden you've got 15, 50, maybe even more reviews on day one you come out of the gates really strong. You can double down beyond that. Like, and, and so th that's just kind of a, a, a wide net and a lot of different specific things of what I would recommend to, to maximize your book sales. Man, I look at the reviews. I mean, I look at the reviews on everything that I, uh, that I buy or a, a movie I'm thinking about watching. I'm reading the reviews and I know that there's controversy about you know, junk reviews and, and whatnot, but generally you can read enough of those. And even on the books, I can tell when somebody has gotten a bunch of people just to say something, oh, you know, John's book is great. Oh, John's book's awesome. John's, and I don't, I'm not looking for something specific when they go in and go, man, this is what I got out of it. This is how it changed my thinking, changed my life, some kind of a specific there. And it's made me want to tell people, hey, if you're getting reviews, get them to say something to that. And I've had people ask me for a review. I didn't have that to offer and I didn't leave a review specifically. So I look at the, not only the number, but I really look at the quality and I assume other people do. Yes. And not only that, but Amazon looks at them and they promote your book more if you have more reviews. So you'll show up in search engines when people type stuff, you'll show up in, I mean, a bestseller list, like all those things, because they're, they're very highly incentivated, uh, incentivized um, to, to show books with more reviews because that helps them achieve their goal, which is helping people find what they're probably looking for or they didn't know that they were looking for that they won't because yeah. there's so much social proof and there's high reviews. So it just, it just carries into everything. What's, so what's the home run for you, man? Uh, you, you know, I know you're in contact with people. 
in your membership doing this, putting their stuff together every day, what, what's the home run on a given day that fulfills you and what you're doing? Oh man, we, so we, I mean, we call books changed lives or or sorry, books published lives changed internally, which is just, so when someone signs up for self-publishing school or they publish their book, those are like our two milestones of like, Hey, that was a life changed. And so that for me, I mean, it's, we have two, three, four, I think yesterday we had six books published. Um, and so two to three, pretty much on average. So that for me is what it's all about. And I, I love this stuff. Um, like I said, I believe that books change lives and I believe it's not about who the book, it's about who you become in the process of writing and publishing a book. And I've seen the dual impact. We talk about leveraged impact and all those things, but of books changed my life as a reader. Like when I dropped out of school, I took what I call the, the college dropouts approach to learning. And I started acting like I was still in school, but reading books. And so I, I, I call it a $15 mentor. It's like the smartest, most successful people on the planet have written and published books with yeah. all of their best knowledge from their entire life. Yeah. And all I have to do is pay $15 and commit three to eight hours to read the book. And so books have changed my life as a C-level English student, a college dropout with ADHD (laughs) who hated reading and now loves it. And I read a book a week. So it's changed my life on that side. And then it's also changed my life as an author. And so I think that's what we're unlocking for people on a daily basis. And that's what gets me fired up. And that's why I'm still working this hard. (laughs) We've had a lot of success with the business. Like I don't have to work that hard, but I choose to because I love it and it's a lot of fun. And that's it. And that's why you're here is you love it. And as I'll have had in the intro, I met you through a uh, a guy's, a businessman's prayer group uh, that met every week. That's where I met you. And so I've been able to see you remotely seeing what you're doing. And that's what speaks to me. I, I, we talk so often about, you know, if I'm having somebody who's going to, I have a heart surgeon, surgeon, I got a couple options and this guy's really good. And this guy's really good. And he absolutely loves and believes in what he does. That's who I want working on me. And I see that from you, from the book publishing, you're such an advocate of it. You're such an advocate of the people doing what they help it get out what they can to change their life and change other people. Uh, man, I appreciate what you, you're doing. I appreciate how fired up you are and I appreciate how you're changing lives. Uh, thank you for being here. Thanks for doing what you do, Chandler. Yeah. Thank you, Kevin. I feel that that was a much needed and beneficial uh, intro and to looking in this issue of book writing that will have a lot of you inspired to look further for yourself. Is it something you want to do? You can check out again, self-publishingschool.com slash apply and inquire with Chandler and his team about the options for you. Coming up in episode 870, we discuss the very real issue of opportunities, but the discomfort that generally accompany them. I mean, anything worthwhile will take an effort to achieve. We know that, but this is really uh, just an intimate look at the true struggle to do what is uncomfortable and risky and a valid obstacle. Till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.